Welcome to another episode of Finesse Media Podcast, Season 2, with your host, Ken Finesse Media, and co-host, Treat a Millionaire. As the hosts gather their show notes and stage the studio for their next guest, sit back, sit back, turn up your volume, and get ready for something brand new. I'm your host, Ken Finesse Media. I got my co-host, Treese, a millionaire, in the studio with me. Treese, what's going on, girl? Another episode in the What's brand. up, what's up, what's up? You already know who it is. It's your girl, Treese, a millionaire. How you been doing, Ken? What's the deal? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We handling this uh, day by day as we doing it. And uh, just trying to maintain and trying to stay stay busy and creative as possible. It's crazy as a motherfucker. So this is what we're doing. We are remote, and uh, we have another episode uh, with another great guest, and uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chilling and uh, excited to speak with our uh, Finessa of this episode, uh, Kenna Thomas. Can't wait to speak with her. Each and every week on Finesse Media, we talk to people that's finessing the game. And so if you never joined us before, that's what we do. We also spotlight HBCUs as well. So if you attended an HBCU, uh, hit us up, finessemediapodcast at gmail.com, and let us know that your HBCU is one that we should spotlight. And if you want to come on to talk about your experience at your university, at your HBCU, uh, let's do that together. So hit us up, finessemediapodcast at gmail.com. Again, Finesse Media Season 2, my co-host and Teresa Millionaire, we hold it, hold it down each and every week. We're going to take a quick music break, uh, and then we'll come back with our HBCU, and then we'll have a conversation with Kenneth Thomas. So that's the lineup for this week. Again, Finesse Media Podcast Season 2. If you're listening to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, or Google Play Music, uh, hit the subscribe and follow button because we want to let you know, uh, or that the app itself, shit, will let you know when new episodes are released. So hit that subscribe or follow button. Uh, and we'll be back with more and with something brand new. We're going to bring up a track, and uh, we'll be back. Here we go. Tie at some point. Between the fall and the creation. Taking this ghastly risk. Uh, is the condition of there being life. Okay. 
attention will let me grasp it. I got a question, let me ask it. What I have to do for you to be mine? Your mind's divine, you shine like the sunshine. God snapped when he made you. You're original, I could never see him make two. Me and you go together like the ivy with the blue. Yes, I had a shoddy, but I'm trying to make you my boo. See, she had me out the loop, and to give that girl the boo. Now I'm focused on you, so girl, what it do, baby? Had the kawaii on you, take you with me to kawaii on you. Keep it pimping, super fly for you. Big papa, like that man from Memphis, the son, the livest one. What a good track. Shout out to Philly Moon, man. Always bringing some good hits and bringing some good sounds to Finesse Media Podcast. And each and every week, like I said, man, we talk to people that's finessing the game. So can't wait to talk to Kenna. I see her in Q. Uh, she's also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha for my AKA ladies out there. So we're going to talk to her about AKA and, um, and many things that she's done and, and accomplished. Also an HBCU grad. So can't wait talk all about that tree we talking about hbcus we ready for the hbcu week or what man we what we talking about man because i know it's going down on the hbcu side absolutely it's gonna go down go on and drop that hbcu so they can hear what magnificent school we have today that's what's up finesse media podcast season two it's time for the hbcu of the week Historically black colleges and universities commonly called HBCUs are defined by the Higher Education Act of 1965 as any historically black college or university that was established prior to 1964 whose principle was and is the education of black Americans and that is accredited by a nationally recognized accrediting agency or association determined by the Secretary of Education. It's now time for the Finesse Media Podcast, HBCU of the Week. All right, our HBCU of the Week is Tougaloo College. It is a private, historically black liberal arts college in Tougaloo, Mississippi. Mississippi. It is affiliated with the United Church of Christ and Christian Church Disciples of Christ, originally established in 1869 by New York-based Christian missionaries for the education of freed slaves and their offspring from as a teacher's training school funded by the state of Mississippi in 1998. 
The buildings of the old campus were added to the National Register of Historic Places. Tougaloo College has a rich history in civic and social activism, including the Tougaloo Nine. The college hosted the 50th anniversary celebration of Freedom Summer in June 2014. In 1869, the American Missionary Association of New York purchased 500 acres of one of the largest former plantations in central Mississippi to build a college for freedmen and their children, recently freed slaves. The purchase included a standing mansion and outbuildings, which were immediately converted for use as a school. The next year, expansion of facilities began in earnest with the construction of two new buildings, Washington Hall, a 70-foot-long edifice containing classrooms and a lecture hall and boarding hall, a two-story building which included a kitchen and dining hall, a laundry, and dormitories for 30 female students. Costs of construction were paid by the United States government through the Education Department of Bureau of Refugees and Freedmen. Additional funds, totaling 25000 in all, were provided for development of the school farm, including money of farm implements and livestock. In 1871, the Mississippi State Legislature granted the new institution a formal charter under the name Tougaloo University. No contingency funds was provided for the day-to-day operation of the school, with students paying tuition of $1 per month, while others attended tuition-free, contributing labor on the school farm in lieu of fees. The cost of two teachers at the school for five months were paid by the county boards of education of Hines and Madison counties. All additional operating funds were provided by the American Missionary Association. Ladies and gentlemen, our HBCU of the Week, Tougaloo College. Shout out to Tougaloo College down there, M.I. Crickletta, Crickletta, humpback. I may be saying it wrong. Just shout out to Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't said that in a minute. I ain't fooling with uh, with David Banner or those folks down there in Mississippi, man. Oh. Uh, but another episode in the crates, we're about to do it. We're about to bring on our Vanessa, our special guest of this episode, um, Kina Thomas. I've been pronouncing this name wrong um, this entire time. So for those that's listening and has been with us so far, it is Kina Thomas. So it's just like a, with a K. Or with, uh, Tina with a K is what I, what I was just told. So let's make sure we get that right but for those that has joined this episode for the first time as mentioned so many times already we talked to people that's finessing the game and so my co-host trees gave us a good hbcu of the week thank you uh trees for giving us the hbcu of the week and right into that segue trees is going to let you know about our special guest that's joined the podcast and uh trees let these folks know who miss thomas is uh, a brief bio. The bio is so goddamn long. We can't spend the whole episode. We'll probably need a part two. But a little bit of who she is, Miss Thomas, joining this podcast for the first time. Once we give the bio, we'll be happy to bring her in and uh, let you guys hear what she got going on and all the accomplishments. Trees. All right. So our bio today is Miss Kenna Thomas. She is currently the Director of Global Insights and Analytics for the Customer Experience Team at Walmart Stores Incorporated. She has a multitude of experience in merchandising and manufacturing. Her decisions impact the lives of millions of people across day, um, across 
the world day-to-day in America. She recently led a team of professionals to bring quality bakery products to over 4,500 store locations as the senior buying manager of the Fresh Bakery. A notable accomplishment is that Kenna is the person responsible for creating the Patty LaBelle Sweet Potato Pie. Because of her commitment to excellence and high standards, she broke history in grocery retail by giving her customers something to sing about. After a viral video, there were thousands of stories written about the sweet success. Kenna has appeared in hundreds of online articles, BET, CNN Live, Fortune, and Forbes Magazine. Kenna is a proud HBCU graduate. She received her bachelor's degree in business from Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee. During her matriculation, Kenna was initiated into Beta Chi chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. The amazing sisterhood allows her to sharpen her leadership skills and lead change in the community. She is currently a member of Phi Alpha Omega chapter in Northwest Arkansas. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Finesse Media Podcast, Kenna Thompson. Tina, welcome to the Finesse Media Podcast, Miss Lady. How you doing in this quarantine season? You know what? I'm doing great. Super excited. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as mentioned, uh, she's responsible uh, for the Paleo Bell Pie. That was a, a, a big highlight. I know a couple of seasons ago, I ran out and tried to grab a pie or two <laughs> and that whole bit. And I know that was crazy uh, during that time. But amongst many, many things, we talked about uh, HBCU before you came on. something that we highlight on our show, uh, on our podcast each and every week. And also, again, bringing on about people that's finessing the game. So you, somebody who uh, I saw and going, wait a minute, it's a black chick that's behind this whole situation. And then to unpack, I, I start to realize, like, wow, you do so many other things. But wanted to have you on the podcast because you're someone who is definitely finessing the game. But you attended Lane College uh, during, you know, undergrad. How was that experience attending an HBCU? It was the best experience of my life. Um, at my HBCU, I felt like family at Lane. Um, literally had the right support and the right people just rooting for me to win. And it was great going there because obviously, um, you know, going to school where you see people who look like you, you feel really, really comfortable from an environmental standpoint. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. So um, it oh was just an amazing experience. Like, I'm telling you, like, it was it was so dope. Like the president of the college was the reason that I actually attended Lane. Um, I, you know, unlike a lot of people, I actually wasn't prepared to go to school in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I was not caught. I was not planning to go to college. I just wanted to own my own business, which is great, by the way, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. But after one conversation with the president of the college, he convinced me to give Lane a try. And when I went, I made straight A's for the first four semesters because, uh, you know, of the intense amount of focus and people rooting for me. That accountability was amazing. I, you know what? I would go there a hundred times over. Mm. And you remember Alpha Kappa Alpha on, you know, on that campus. We'll talk about that. Were you involved with any kind of other um, fast growing organizations, you know, just maybe at Lane or just Central in that area? Because you seem like a mover and a shaker. 
you know. <laughs> no, but I was uh, president of my chapter at length. Of course. Um, so <laughs> I was able to lead, you know, <laughs> lead on campus there. Um, I was involved in some other student body activities, like, you know, house manager of our theater department, secretary of my class, like things of that nature. And then I also interned every year um, okay. through um, what did you the intern? UNCF. Um, so I interned with Nestle USA in Glendale, California, and then I also interned with Wyatt's Airs Research, which basically at the time was the makers. They're over in the Jersey area, and they are the makers of Centrum and Advil at the time. Okay, okay. The Beta Chi Chapter, Alpha Kappa Alpha. So yep. what was that sisterhood like? <laughs> I know, oh as, I, as, I, as I said to you behind the scenes, uh, myself and co-host, we're part of the Divine Nine. We follow each other on Facebook, but you know how the algorithms are, so I don't even know if you know who I am. But I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma. My co-host, Teresa Million, is a member of Sigma Gamma Rho. So, it's all... That's amazing. Well, all I Divine Nine. Sisterhood. I want to mm-hmm. answer your question, though, about the sisterhood. I'm going to tell you, like, literally, there is nothing like having the support of some amazing, strong black women. When a lot of things in my life have gone left, they were there to like carry me back to the center and make mm-hmm. sure that that I had the right support. I'm telling you, there, you know, being a member of the Divine Eye has opened up so many different opportunities career-wise for me. And then also from a mentoring standpoint, I have some of the dopest mentor, mentors in the game that are a part of the Divine Nine. And a lot of that really is because they trust good character, and then they trust that you, you're educated and that you're going to do the right thing. It's just this automatic connection. But Sisterhood at Lane was absolutely phenomenal, had really great support. We were a small chapter. Um, it's a small school. It's a small HBCU, so small chapter, but really mighty in terms of efforts with the community. And it really just taught me a lot about leadership and how to really take this community thing to the next level, which is what I've been able to do. And many of my line sisters and chapter sorors have done as well. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So tell us about being a senior buying manager. Like, how mm-hmm. do you pick out the products that you want to be in your locations? What do you look for? Gosh, that that is a very loaded question. I'll tell you like this. The biggest thing is to think like a customer. So when I say that, I mean in this very broad, broadest sense. So um, I have the pleasure of working for the biggest company in the world. And, um, you know, when you think about it, you're literally buying for America if you work for this company. And so you really have to study what people want in order to give them what they need. There are great supplier partnerships that happen, but the first thing to answer directly is that you're looking for quality and value. At the end of the day, if you can get something that's fantastic quality um, at a really good price, you can get people to be become not only engaged in that, but delighted by the fact that they're able to get such a great deal. We all want we are all super price sensitive. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person on earth or whether or not um, that's not your situation. You are always looking for a great deal. And that's what I've been able to provide just by looking at quality along with just this great logistic network that's in place and partnering with the right suppliers. Um, I will tell you, I do not miss at all eating cake every day. 
So (laughs) (laughs) I've been in my new role for about four months. And I will tell you, prior to that, for five years, I ate cake or pie every day. And <laughs> that's a dream job I managed for a lot of people, definitely. Pounds, though. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy because it made me really health conscious. And I don't mean to go left with this, but I was able to um, lose a hundred pounds in that process um, because I became insanely aware of what I was putting inside of my body. So, with that being said, I actually don't miss that part of the job. Um, I just really, really miss. Um, the interaction with some really great partners I had there and continuing to make those decisions. It was time for me to move on, get a different level of skill set. And so that's why I'm really happy with what I'm doing right now, which is more related to understanding consumer behavior. Um, And then leading, I have a pretty big team of people that support the customers and making sure that we're hearing what customers say and we respond to that. So, that's really kind of just a work gig for me right now and what I have going on. That's amazing. Now, what does your, like, typical day-to-day look like in your new position? Like, what are you doing throughout your day? Well, in quarantine land, I sit (laughs) in my home office. (laughs) In quarantine land, I sit in my home office. We get a lot of good feedback from customers. That that feedback comes in multiple forms. But, you know, what's so interesting is when people think we're not listening, we are actually listening. There's a, a group of people who are gathering all the data, all the comments that people say, and then turning that into active information that we can use and leverage to make sure that we're making people happy. My job is to make people happy. At this point, want you well pleased, make sure that you are excited and engaged and that you feel like it's a really, at this point during COVID right now, that it's a really safe place um, that you can trust and that we continue with um, going down the path of being everything you thought we would be beforehand. And so that, that's really kind of the day-to-day for me is just managing um, a heavy workload <laughs> with a great team of people. And at right. the same time, you got to remember, I'm only four months in, so I'm still learning every day, too. Um, yeah. Every day, sitting down with somebody new, having a touch base, figuring out what I don't know, and being um, very honest and very grounded in the fact that you don't know everything. You can be super smart, but you don't know everything. And I'm taking this period of time right now, which is, I'm going to call a grace period of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. From from some people who have a lot of experience, just like I have a ton of experience when it comes to the merchandising and manufacturing side. The customer org is very new for me, and I'm I'm grateful to work for a company that trusts me enough to do that. But I'm really learning. I'm sitting down learning at this point. Mm -hmm. So that's what day to day really is for me: learning. And getting a couple of professional awards along the way, maybe add too. So the buyer of the year, when you, because I know you, they will. What's the new role? Let me before I forget that question. What's your new title? Because we, we know you as a buyer. I met you as a buyer, but what's your new title and role? My new title is director of global customer insights and analytics, and okay. that sounds all fancy because it is. But <laughs> <laughs> really, really, what I study. Um, and my team studies is customer experience, which means Mm. everything related to going inside of a store, uh, of all of our store locations, how are you pleased through and through the store, whether or not that's at your checkout, 
experience, whether or not mm-hmm. you're returning something, um, whether or not like place is product is placed where you expect it to be, all of that really falls under um, my team to handle. Mm-hmm. And I had a question before that, but then you get, you kept talking, so then I had a developed question. When you're in this space of, of considering customers and, and looking out for customers and, like you said, shopping for a customer in, in a sense, what are you? what is the misconception? It's a two-part question or answer, I should say. But what's the conception or misconception that you that you found or that you believe that customers have against retailers? So not really about Walmart, because again, Walmart is just a company, but and one of the largest. But what do you think, from a customer standpoint, is I guess the biggest misconception about their retailer experience, and then from the retailer, so like a big box store, what have you found has been their um, misinterpretation of customers? Well, you probably thinking like, no, that's not what customers thinking, y'all, or y'all, that's not what the retailers are thinking. So that's kind of my space in that question. Yeah, so this kind of voice of the customer. Um, I'll tell you, I really come from a very different approach. My approach is built and shaped by my experience, right? Um, a lot mm-hmm. of my experience is more on the merchandising side of the house. So I come from the experience of like, do are you going to have my product available to me? So there's a whole line of things that have to happen to make sure your product hits the shelf, right? And mm-hmm. so as a customer, you should not care anything about that. You should You should expect to have that ready and available because that's what you need. And that's our promise to you is that it will be available, right? So mm-hmm. as a customer... You should not think anything about that. So I don't really think that there's a misunderstanding from a customer standpoint. I will tell you on the other side of the house, really having the mindset that I just said now is really key, that it doesn't matter what excuses come in place, we have to figure out how to make sure that that's available. And that goes to the entire retail industry. That's not necessarily talking one particular store or place, but like, I expect as a customer, regardless of where I am, that you have what I want. And at the end of the day, on the other side of it, you need to make sure you have what I want. That's mm-hmm. really the mindset space that we need to always come from. And I'll tell you, that's probably one of the things I've learned a lot from over the years, even prior to this position, which is just make sure you have stuff available for people. And if you don't have it available, what, what the patty pie taught me more than anything is to have a way to get that back and communicate as quickly as possible so that you don't um, get into a situation where people expect you not to have it. Mm-hmm. And how was that experience? Because that was my next question, uh-huh. really. How was that experience for you? I mean, we got to talk about it, but of course we don't want to get into the finances and all that. But obviously we know it was unavailable everywhere. People had their apps, including me, searching stores for patty pies, couldn't find them. I'm looking at you on Facebook, and I'm like, where are they at? I'm trying them uh, when I can, but I couldn't find them anywhere. What was the panic, and how was that moment for you when that deal was crazy or the pies went viral? What was your mind? How was you... Where were you at that moment, <laughs> and mentally, physically? Were you at home and the pies just went crazy? <laughs> I wish I had enough time to answer the question that I know. you just asked me. Because <laughs> it is so phenomenal. If you if you learn even a piece of the story, it is so phenomenal. Uh, but the base of the idea came uh, because I wanted to bridge a gap for customers. Like we couldn't buy the sweet potato pie. I thought that that was important for us to be able to have. Um, from a marketplace standpoint. The base of it actually started with my mom's recipe. 
And um, I know it's a this is this is unpacking a lot, and you're probably going to have a gazillion questions about that. But essentially, the the quick version of that is it went from being mom's recipe to me realizing um, we needed credibility from a customer standpoint, reaching out to the team, um, literally via Google, Patty LaBelle's team via Google and saying, hey, I have this opportunity. Are you willing to partner with me on it? Heard from them within nine hours, shifted over, and sent Patty the uh, pie that we had already developed. We had literally just finished development of it. Um, Sent it to Patty. Patty said, hey, yo, I need to make this more Patty, a little bit less your mom, a little bit more Patty. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, that's what we're going to do. And so, so we figured out some ways that we could tweak it and make it more Patty, and that's exactly what we did used all of her great feedback, and that transitioned us over uh, to having this really great product within a matter of months. Went viral, was not expecting to be viral at all. Um, We had, though, made, I had made um, a lot of great assumptions with a lot of great people, um, and we had already doubled what we were buying anyway, which was great, but we we ended up needing quadruple um, the amount. So the pie at one point was selling um, and I can share this information. We were selling um, a pie per second for a seven wow. period hour. Wow. So wow. That was really, a pie really a second? Thing. Yeah, per <laughs> second. It became wow. this really, really big, awesome thing, you know, for the community itself of people who, you know, you could buy this thing for $3.98 in the store compared to, you know, making it at home, taking a mm-hmm. lot of time. All of that stuff, you know, for maybe six, seven dollars, depending on how you buy your sweet potatoes. And, you know, it was just a great deal for people. And I had a lot of research that went into, like, how do we forecast this thing go forward? How do we keep with great quality? And it's just a lot of good resources that were allotted to me to make sure that we kept the ball rolling, had a great CEO and company um, just to walk behind us, Patty was engaged and completely aligned. We had lots of meetings about it. I rarely slept during that time frame. Um, <sighs> everything was, I probably watched every video on YouTube um, that <laughs> that was ever made about that pie. And, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> grateful to be a part of history from that perspective. Um, Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so, like, I'm telling you, it is such a crazy feeling on the inside to be a part of something that you knew would be big because of the scale, but it it got 10 times bigger because of the support. And that in and of itself just, just shows that the power of purpose and like following your gut, following the right lead and doing what you believe is the right thing, regardless of what comes up, thankfully, in a position where I had great supportive leadership, but what if I wouldn't have, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, me reaching out to Patty, I did that without anybody's approval or thought. That was me doing that. Like, wow. And Finesse. so what? The day, my CEO came to me and said, thank you for that. He wrote a note to me about it. He came and took pictures with me for it. Like, it's just, wow. you know, literally having, again, in it's just it's amazing i can go on for hours about that but i'll let you ask your question what was your question so what (laughs) out of everybody you could have picked to do your mom's recipe what made you say you know what i'm gonna reach out to patty labelle and call auntie (laughs) yeah like what what made you say i'm gonna patty labelle is the one i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna reach out to her 
Okay, so, <laughs> it's, you know, that's loaded too, but the, the short answer is I went out on Google and I said, famous people with sweet potato pie recipe. And when I did that, I got, I got wow. my scroll on. And when I scrolled, I said, Patty LaBelle, this is genius. This is like eight o'clock at night for me. And I'm chilling at home with my husband and kids. Uh, at the time, I think the boys were probably four and five, three and four, something like that. And I was talking to my husband. I was like, I need to, I need some street cred. And so who can give me that? And I saw Patty's name pop up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. At the time, she was just on Dancing with the Stars. And so I'm like, mm. she's still very relevant. So she, she, our boomers like her, our, the older customers like her, um, love her music. And every customer actually has grown to love the type of music she produces, classic. And then you have people who don't know how to cook that are the younger generations who look up to her as more of a mom figure. She feels like the right person. And when mm-hmm. I reached out to her and I heard back within nine hours from her team, it was like on. And I still am in contact with uh, her team very regularly, even though I don't necessarily work on the category anymore. But it's just, you know, a crazy, crazy sort of experience. But she, she was the right person for that. Um, she is like, I mean, dare I say it in this way, like she's, she's for us community-wise as an African-American, I look up to her like for any recipe she puts out, I'll cook it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like whatever yeah. Patty tells me to make, I'm making it, which is why, <laughs> by the way, um, mm-hmm. she has a line of frozen food. Not sure if you guys are aware of that, um, but had a lot to do with the development of that as well. And so I gotta get um, my hands on that good. macaroni and cheese because it's good. That though. joint, mm. yeah, I, mm. I want to get so my good. hands on that. So, it tastes so good, I swear it does. And while we were in the development process of making sure, because there's a long process with that, you got to make sure it actually tastes like hers, right? It literally has to be made like hers, but it has to be commercialized, which is bigger ovens, bigger bake times, bigger. You know, like all of the stuff that goes into that uh, pasta shells and things of that nature have to be considered. But that was a fun job, too, eating all that um, patty mac and cheese. And I currently go to the store, and it's on my shop list every week, too. It's good. It's a good item. I got to I gotta check it out. And when you were a buyer uh, in, that, in that role, how long were you in that role um, before that deal, you know, happened? Um, yeah, you know what's so funny? That was my first project. Wow. Oh, that's the way so to you knock like, it out. Right. That's yeah. how you get to the vet yeah. and knock it out the park. Amazing. Yeah. And I know the people who were probably yeah. in that role before you was like, wait a minute, who she is and came in here and just secured the bag, if you will, or knocked it out the park. <laughs> but that's how you finesse the game, uh, really. Now, when that deal happened, it's much more to talk to you about. And this is probably my last question, really, about this, unless, you know, Teresa got nothing. But that um, pie, as crazy and phenomenal as it was, in retrospect, was there any pushback saying, no, we don't know, we don't know about this, and you had to try to sell it? Was there any pushback, or immediately when they got the you know, call nine hours later and they confirmed that Patty had joined, everybody was on board? So it was the latter, actually. So this is the power of working for somebody great. So I worked for this amazing lady. Um, at the time, she was she she was she's so much like me personality wise. She's a great businesswoman, and she hired me 
because I had no experience in the grocery industry. I actually was buying jewelry, which is commodity driven, very different. But she trusted me to make, to shake things up. And I said, this is just, I'm telling you, sweet potato pie is like my version of what you think pumpkin pie is. And I know you think the sweet potato pie we have on the shelf right now tastes good, but it doesn't. And she's like, okay. (laughs) She's like, okay, so what does taste good? And I'm like, okay, let me figure that out. And so I had something to prove. It literally was my first project. So I had something to prove to my new boss, my new team. Um, And then it came from a space of something that I knew, which was, I know good pie. I know what I grew up eating. I know what customers would like in this particular type of item. And so that's, you know, when you're in that situation, you don't really actually have to sell anything. Um, If there's a level of trust in your previous experience, and that you've had success. I've had a lot of success historically, so why would I put myself or the company at jeopardy? I wouldn't. So this was all coming from a very factual, data-driven place, and then also saying, here's what tastes good. I know you think the market is big now, but the market can quadruple in size. And Mm -hmm. um, we were able to accomplish that, but I had supportive leadership who did not push back at all. They were on board. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. You, that's very amazing. So, what do you think is the most difficult aspect of your former position and the one that you are learning currently? Like, what is the most difficult aspect that you've encountered? The most difficult aspect, uh, aspect of it all, I would say, um, typically, it would be alignment. Because you have to align so many teams in in corporate America, there's just so many different people. And so that's when your communication skills come to play and uh, learning how to navigate being a good leader, which means being a good listener of what people want and need as well. And then also um, the most difficult part is to sit down and say, you know what, I could be wrong about this. Mm -hmm. Like being humble enough to say, I may need some other people, even though I have two master's degrees. I feel very well qualified for what I do. There's so many more people who have much more um, insight to what I'm doing and have a a greater in-depth understanding, and I need to be humble enough to learn from them. And I'll tell you, that's probably what I found to be um, the most challenging portion. It's rewarding, but it's also really challenging just to say, um, I don't know this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I don't and that's have it. That and you and and that's it. And I think that's a good segue to one of the recent. Well, not, I don't know how recent because what I'm seeing here is that you're also doing some mentorship, and that's big. I mean, to be a mentor to somebody else says that hey, maybe someone has taught you as an understudy, and that you, you know that you went as an understudy for someone. And so teaching uh, or mentoring these six students, and I may get this wrong, but is it me, Fudera? The, the Futuro program. Futuro. The Futuro. Futuro program. I'm messing all names up today. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but those six students that you missed, uh, that you uh, mentor and you you encourage uh, Hispanic, eight uh, great students. How long have you been doing that? And tell us about that project. Yeah. So Me um, Futuro is a program that really um, is, it, it stands for my future. 
And at eighth grade, that's really when a lot of people determine whether or not they're going to go to college or whether or not they believe in an educational system. That's why it's important to get get people at eighth grade. And mm-hmm. so um, just having interactions in their lives regularly and being a good person and say, hey, I didn't actually see anybody in college before I went to college, and really letting that my testimony shine from that standpoint not only makes me relatable, but it also – um, allows me to get to a very personal uh, place from a student standpoint and saying, like, what do you want to do next? And let me equip you for what that looks like. Let me show you, here's what student loans look like. Here's what careers make. Like, if you're thinking, here's, like, let's do an in-depth study of what your interests are and then go from your interest to, like, okay, if you were make, to make your interest a career, here's the average amount that that career makes. And then from a budgeting standpoint, here's how you would live. Here's what your Mm -hmm. housing would have to cost. Here's what your car would have to cost. So that way we're teaching you how to be very budget conscious and then navigating that over to like, is that the right career for you? Is that what you envision for yourself? Like if Mm -hmm. you see yourself as, you know, an engineer and you expect to make, you know, seven times more than the average engineer, how do you get there? Helping you navigate that piece of life is what that program does. But what I what I actually love, love, love doing is mentoring uh, mid-level career professionals. And I have mm-hmm. about 18 of those that I mentor um, every month. And we sit down in a circle and we have specific, very planned out topics that we cover. We have guest speakers that come in. And the whole point of that is not only career advancement, but career exposure. You have exposure mm. to your peers. You have exposure to leadership, people who come in and actually speak to us. We actually have a meeting next week. But people that actually can give you advice and direction that comes from an experience standpoint. And that's also culturally diverse. And by that, I mean you literally could see anyone in my mentoring circle and come sit down and learn from this group of people. And it's also created an amazing network for one another. And so Mm -hmm. I believe in the power of people, um, and that's something that's really, really important for me, a part of my New Year's uh, goals every year, and this year is no different from that, and I've just transitioned to the girlfriend piece of it. I have 30 girlfriends that meet that are all super successful, powerful black women, and Did you recently have a virtual birthday party with some of these girls? I did. I was like, who in the hell gets 30 people together at one time? Can Me. Can she get together? I say, well, happy belated birthday as well. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I say, you. wait a minute. It's like 32 women. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. You said, yeah, 32 women. 32. It was amazing. So I, I saw that on Facebook uh, uh, recently. But you're right, you know. So when I want to go back to the mid-level trainers, and you're saying different speakers can come in. So where is this hosted at? Is it a vir- virtual? Can people just join? How can someone no. be involved no. or get involved? I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. These are all people that I work with currently um, okay. within the organization that I'm in now. I, I hope. Well, I will, not just a hope. I will transition mid-year to have something virtual, very, very similar 
um, across multiple people. Um, hopefully, it, it can be something that will inspire people. And I haven't really come up with a selection criteria, but obviously, it needs to be people who can help each other, or there's no point in doing it. Um, but I have to navigate really kind of some details to understand what that could look like and how that differs from the other groups that I take part in. Mm-hmm. And you recently, when you spoke at the uh, high school, what was your message to the graduating class? Because shout out to class <laughs> of 2020 now, man. They're taking it rough with this corona. Yeah, and no yeah. one's able to celebrate, you know. But when you recently spoke over at uh, Charles Summer High School, what was your graduation? What was your message to those students? So my message to those students was like it was very much so about being who you want to be, taking where you are now and not necessarily letting who you are right now determine who you need to be. I am a person who grew up, um, I grew up in the project. I grew up with very little. I did not see a whole lot of examples, but the most important consistent piece of it all is using the resources that were allotted to me and keeping those throughout. Grabbing a mentor, grabbing people um, that who have helped me along the way, as well as educating myself, allowed me to figure out where I wanted to be and to navigate ways to get there. So really that was more of the message. But if I were rewriting that message, I would probably talk about the wells that are really important to me, which is being well-read, being well-spoken, being well-dressed, being well-traveled, and then making sure that you're Mm well-prepared. So that's what I would speak to them about if it were this year happening. Mm No, um, that's a message, and, and like you said, you have to be prepared. And in this crazy time, a lot of people kind of got caught with pants down, if I may use that analogy. But you know, mm-hmm. businesses and individuals alike, you know, you got to have some funds, you got to have a second backup plan uh, to kind of, again, I always say to kind of finesse your way uh, through this life and navigate. But I'm sure as you're doing the many different things as a professional, as an educator, as a sorority girl. We ain't talk about which is the most important title, being a mother. I know those boys. <laughs> right. Those are close like my sons. When I look at your sons, I'm like, damn, are they twins? I'm like, no, wait, they're nine and ten. They're nine and ten. So Julian and Timmy, your two boys, they look at mom as probably the superhero, not the educator and not of what we're talking about. So let's, let's, yeah, you know, let's talk. Go ahead. Let's talk about that, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> As a, uh, by the way, my, one of my biggest, so I have two really big titles, wife and mom, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I've been Gary's wife for 15 years. Um, <laughs> that's that something we navigate, we navigate parenthood together, right? And so I have these two little basketball loving boys. And when I say they love basketball, they're obsessed. We take them to games. They've had an opportunity um, to meet some really great players. And really where I am now with them is not not only making sure that education is at the forefront, but that I'm mom, that I actually have a life with them outside of, you know, my mm-hmm. normal sort of duties or responsibilities. I'm probably my kid's, like, friend, if you will. Like, if, if you want to look at it from that aspect, I go play basketball with them. My jump shot is me. So, <laughs> listen, I was going to ask you about that because listen, 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 
Listen, <laughs> you're right. If you see your page, if someone check on your Facebook, they would know I see you being very active with your boys and with the sneakers on and with some, you know, camouflage oh, yeah. on. You and Gary out there, man. Y'all, and in fact, Gary spit those kids out too, by the way. You telling me? It ain't <laughs> fair. Boy, he has a spin image. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. I'll tell you, it, it's important to us to have fun with the boys and make sure that they have our support. Around here in the community that we live in, it's very low minority, so it's important for us to travel with them so that they see diversity in the world and that they also are very, very well versed at how to handle themselves in any situation. That's really important from a parental style standpoint. And then what's also really important is to make sure that they trust us. Like, so my kids come to us and, and say some crazy stuff, and you got to figure out how to <laughs> how to how to look, you know, and not laugh at some of the the, the crazy stuff that that they can say. But like, they know that we're not going to respond or overreact to whatever they say either. So that really is more like a friendship um, that we foster. And then that way, you know, the boys, I hope the rest of their lives, they look at me like as, as a good friend and they don't see me as, you know, a, an executive mom. They just see me as mom. I still cook dinners. I still, you know, I travel a lot for work, but when I am here at home, I'm doing everything I possibly can to create a very normal life for the boys and a very uh, normal upbringing for them. And making sure that they know I'm here for them in whatever situation, even if they have to FaceTime, I'm still right here. Um, And keeping it real, like keeping it Mm -hmm. real about where I grew up, how I grew up. You know, the differences in today's kids is my son, who's 10. You know, it's nothing to him to have a pair of Jordans. And I'm like, whoa. I had to pay for that. I had to save up for that. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy. It's such a difference now because I think about, you know, kids, we give those to them just, you know, because we want them to have better. But I remember mm-hmm. I didn't get my first pair of Jordans till I was away in that college. You know, yeah, I didn't. You know, about that. Yeah, I didn't. You know, mom was like, I'm not going to pay no mm-hmm. $150 mm-hmm. for no pair of shoes. I could get you about four pairs for that. And Teresa and I, we're that. both the only. We're both the only. We're both the only child. So uh-huh. <laughs> we talk about that yeah. a lot. Like how we're both yeah. the only child, and that wasn't a luxury. Like just getting stuff just because. You know what I mean? They definitely made us work mm-hmm. and yes, see the value. Yep. And what That's we do something it. I'm working on. By the way, is that the seeing the value piece? I think that that was very critical and very key that you said that. Like um, I'm trying to create a life for the for my kids where they see the value in things and see the value in life, see the value in, in um, material things um, and just making sure that I'm very transparent about that along the way too. Like some stuff we have to, like my 10 year old, I'm not kidding. Last night at dinner, um, my, my husband was like, Kenny, you better get this boy because he said, <laughs> for my birthday, I can't make this up. His birthday is in just about it. If for my birthday, if uh, COVID-19 is still happening, can I have a pair of Yeezys just because that would feel so sad? Oh, no. (laughs) 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 So, wait. uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> no. He's trying to put his bid in early. He like, you know, if I can't have no party then. Right. You know, it is these shoes I really, really like. <laughs> that is correct. Well, but that's what he's Go ahead, go ahead, Teresa. Oh, oh, I was gonna say before we get out of here, you have to let everyone know where they can follow you and keep up with you and see what you are doing. So the best place to do it is actually on Instagram. On Instagram, uh, I am the real Kina. So T H E R E A L K I N N A. That is the best place to reach me on Facebook. I I'm listen. I have a lot of friends on Facebook, but it's a it's a bit much. And the best probably way to go is Instagram. I say at this point. Okay. Well, Kenneth Thomas, let me tell you, you keep finessing the game um, and keep doing what you're doing. I thank you so much for joining this podcast. I'm not sure if you've done these before, um, but as I mentioned, we thank you because you're somebody that I saw that's finessing the game. And uh, I think we also have a mutual friend, Renee Matthews. She's also a friend to the show. Uh, who's finessing the game? Yeah. Been finessing the game. So I thank you so much, my sister, my black queen. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep finessing the game. Come back anytime, anytime you want to promote some or whatever we can do to support your brand. We'll do just that. But thank you so much, and uh, you've been finessed by Finesse Media Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Kenneth, <laughs> thank for joining you. the podcast. And uh, we're going to keep this thing moving. What a great episode. What a great finessentry. I love it. So if you're checking us out on Spotify, Our Heart Radio, or Stitcher, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button. Finesse Media Podcast, Season 2. We talk to people that's finessing the game. We'll see you next week with something brand new. Thank you for listening to another episode of Finesse Media Podcast. Make sure that you hit the follow or subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released. Also, make sure that you are following us on all of our social media pages. Instagram, we are at Finesse Media. Twitter, check us out at underscore Finesse Media. And on Facebook, Finesse Media, LLC. See you next week with something brand new.